welcome to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. The FLD's focus is to connect, equip, and multiply leaders in fulfillment of our vision to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. In today's podcast, we hear from Dr. Charles Yu on colorblindness, critical race theory, and the Bible, understanding God's vision of a multicultural kingdom in a polarized world. This session was recorded at the FLD Spring Leaders Conference in 2022. All right, good morning, everybody. Morning. 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 Hey, welcome to uh, this breakout session. Um, we're going we're gonna to start now. We are starting, obviously, 20 minutes behind what we expected to start. Uh, we're supposed to run, I think, at this point, till around 1220. Um, then we'll get lunch going. Um, I've been told that it's actually good for the breakouts to stagger our release time so, um, we'll, so that we don't all rush to lunch at the same time. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles. Um, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Blockhawk Church. Let me uh, give you a little bit of my background and maybe we can kind of get into how I got onto this topic in the first place. Uh, I did engineering in college and I wasn't very good at it. Uh, I went to Region College for my MDiv uh, in Vancouver, um, studied under Bruce Walkey, my mentor, and um, he encouraged me to get a, a PhD in Old Testament. So I came here to UW-Madison to do my PhD in Hebrew and Semitics. After I graduated, um, I became a, a, a campus theologian for University Christian Fellowship. And then um, through a, kind of a long series of different stories, of way too long to tell, I became a, a pastor here at Blackhawk and recently became the lead teaching pastor at Blackhawk Church. So as an Old Testament scholar, I have some areas of interest. My, my, my dissertation is actually in the book of Job. So Wisdom Lit, Big Book of Job, that's my research interest. I've also published a, co-op, a co-authored a book with my, my, my mentor, Bruce Walkey, <laughs> Old Testament Theology. I have a, a big interest in biblical theology as well as um, narrative approach, story approach to the Bible. Those are kind of my areas of interest. I recently got another chapter published back in 2019. I don't get a lot of chance to write and do research these days. So um, that's the reality. Um, and so the question you may be asking at this point in your mind already, which is, okay, here's an Old Testament theology guy. Why are we listening to him talk about classical liberalism and critical race theory? Great question. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> so here's the deal. Um, I graduated around 20... Let me put it this way. If, I, if, if my life had gone the way I thought it was going to go, I would not be standing here today talking to you guys. I'd be at a seminary somewhere or Bible club somewhere teaching Old Testament uh, as, as a professor. Okay? But when I graduated, right, right after the 08-09 crash, there's no jobs available. My wife said, you're not taking us running around the country doing adjunct. That's not going to happen. We're going to stay here. We have two girls. So I found a job at the university, and I made, made the transition from academic work into, into, back into church and pastorate. So, um, and how that happened is that here at Blackhawk around 2015, we, um, the, the church, the leaders of Blackhawk Church, we've always recognized that God has a multicultural vision for his kingdom. But there was a recognition that, hey, we want as a local church to move in that direction. We're in Madison. There's a lot of diverse groups of people here. Can we bring people in? So we started the Chinese ministry. We started an Asian American, Asian American ministry, an African American ministry. We're getting a Spanish language ministry off the ground. So all of this stuff was happening at our church. And at the same time, we thought, well, hey, uh, so that, I was appointed for that job, pastor of multicultural ministry. Like, my training had anything to do with that. Okay. <laughs> Go read books, Charles, and learn it. Okay. That, that was what, it, what I was doing. 
So the, the thing was this. Um, our solution to, hey, we need to help people understand this. Our solution is what we always do, which is let's teach the Bible, right? There's tons in the Bible about God's vision for a multicultural church. We know that, right, from, from, from beginning from Pentecost all the way to Revelation 7, right? The church begins as a multicultural, multinational, multilingual community right on the first day of the church all the way through Revelation 7, eternity it is such. So in between, guess what? We are to be a multicultural, multinational, multi-ethnic church. Yes. So we teach that. And then we started getting feedback. People were like, hey, are you guys getting political on us? Like, wait, wait, what? Are you guys saying this or are you saying that? And we're realizing that as we're teaching the Bible, we're having a hard time penetrating because of what, uh, what the speaker was doing this morning, talking about politicization, right? Things that were biblical are now seen through political lens. And we, making this turn, and we're, we're, we're not the first, we're, we come late compared to a lot of other churches, we make this turn into a time when the issue of race and ethnicity is now heavily politicized and heavily polarized in our secular culture. And so what we realize is before we can even teach what the Bible has to say, we actually need to help people understand hey, there's a, there's a secular contest, secular competition of, of power, two different ways of viewing multicultural, multi-ethnicity in our culture. We need to understand it. And then we need to, understand, we need to help people. We need to say, hey, here's where the Bible is similar, and here's where the Bible is different. We need to actually not just teach the Bible. We need to critique secular ideologies. All of a sudden, you know, pastors are like, hey, we learned the Bible. We're not experts on these fields. We need to go now learn these things, okay? And so that became part of my job as well, okay? So I'm just gonna say right now that um, you should have documents in front of you, okay? If you should get, get one, everybody should get one of those. If you don't have one, you should get one. And there, there, there are these three categories, right? Notice classical liberalism, critical race theory, the Bible. And, uh, the Bible is the part I studied on. I mean, I've spent most of my adult life in school working on the Bible and biblical theology. And those of you in the back, please feel free to come forward. Please come forward. There's plenty of seats up here. Um, and the other two, I have to go learn. I'm not experts on those. I'm just going to lay that out there. I'm not experts on these. Okay? And I've heard a lot of people talk about this, experts. And what I'm realizing is there's nobody who's an expert on all three. There's just people that don't exist. You have people who are like good in one, and they're going to try to read up on the other two. So that's kind of how I ended up uh, producing this. Um, and, and I have this before you. Now, this is a training that we do here at Blockhub. We've done it with our elders. We've done it with some of our volunteers. Um, just to give you a little bit of problem already, we usually take about an hour and a half, 90 minutes to run through this. We have 60 minutes or less. So uh, I'm going to have to skip some stuff, but feel free to stick around for conversations. Okay. But, but given that I am not an expert on, 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 on these first two columns, um, yeah, I, I do a lot of question and asking and listening and a lot of reading. And um, so if you, know, if you look, at the, look at the footnote on the bottom of page, on page one, you'll notice that it says something like, the language used in this document reflects language commonly used by the proponents of their respective perspectives. What I mean by that is simple. We're, I, I'm going to critique classical liberalism. I'm going to critique critical race theory. These are people I disagree with. If I disagree with them, I need to first and foremost understand them. And not just understand them like in a kind of a, kind of a, 
perfunctory way. I need to be able to restate their argument in a way that they recognize and accept. Okay, this is just kind of a basic rule about how Christians disagree with other people. I'm sorry to, to kind of make that kind of a, a rule, but it is an act of love. How do we love people we disagree with? Know their arguments as well as they know, they know themselves. Know their best argument. Know their best argument. So what I've done is uh, the first column, under classical liberalism, I, I sent that to two, uh, a professor of history here at UW, in intellectual history, and another professor who's actually a, an expert on, on evangelical history. And I said, hey, is this correct? Is this a good summary? It's my summary, so don't, you know, if, it's, if things go wrong, blame it on me. It's not their fault. But they said, okay, this is a legitimate summary of what is called classical liberalism. And then I send the middle column to a friend of mine who's a critical race theorist. He calls himself a crit. And, he, and he's like, well, I, I might quibble with some of your wording, but this is a good summary of critical, what critical race theorists would say. Okay? We need to learn how to do that. We need to be able to summarize people's argument in, in a form, in language that they can accept as being their own. There's no point in saying, oh, you just believe that. And they're like, that's not us at all. You're not making any progress. You're not making, having any kind of communication. Okay? I think an act of love means be able to summarize other people's arguments in, their, in words that they can understand. Okay. So uh, with that in mind, I'm going to keep going. Okay? Here it goes. So all, everything up here should be on your paper in front of you, so don't worry about that. I just use it to remind myself, and I can, I can point at it, but you should be on, on, on the page in front of you. I, well, I'd like to have you see all three columns at the same time, because I'm going to start by talking about the first column, but you can kind of peek over already. So you can already go, oh, okay, and this is where we're different, and this is where we're similar. Um, just a quick word on, 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 on terminology. Liberalism in America today gets confused with conservative liberals, Republicans, Democrats. Whereas um, among philosophers and historians, classical liberalism is a term that covers pretty much the entire Western tradition. So both conservative Republicans and Democrats are what you would call classical liberals, at least until the last 20 years. Before that, we're, they're all classical liberals. Okay? So that's just kind of a terminology. Uh, we, we are, our churches are very much within the classical liberal tradition. This is, our, this is the water that we swim in. This is the air that we breathe. Okay? So you should know this really well, and I should be able to run through it pretty quickly. Okay, here goes. Um, human rights. Uh, human beings are valuable and should, be, should have been given rights and freedom. Individual freedom of choice should be the default in all areas of life. Right? This is the, the, the direction that our country society has been going for a long time. The Declaration of Independence says that, hey, we're endowed with certain inalienable rights from God, and therefore we have freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is what, we're, what we grow up learning. Now, what people may not be as familiar with, especially as Christians, is that within the classical liberal tradition, they identified a particular problem with our world. Okay? The problem with our world is religious and ethnic identities. Religion and ethnicity, ethnic identities, are problems because they are sources of superstition, traditional beliefs, and prejudice, and they have led to war, slavery, and colonialism. Okay? The problem with our world is people band together, and they have these really, really ancient, old-fashioned religious beliefs, that like, like people can, we're both God and human, and that people can resurrect from the dead. That seems very, very traditional, very, very old-fashioned, and we don't really believe in all that stuff anymore, so we need to, we need to break out of the, that, that, that tradition. So you notice in America, we've been moving towards secularism. We've been moving on breaking out of religious and ethnic identities for, 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 a, number, for a number of decades now. This is the direction that we've been headed. Okay. Um, so within this world, then, there's a, there's a view of individuals. 
Individuals are good. They just need to be enlightened. They need to be educated. They need to have the switch you know, flipped on so everybody's like, oh, yeah, we can, we, can, we can be rational, we can know what is true, and we can then do what is good. Enlightened people can figure out what is good, and they can figure out what is good, and they will do it once they figure it out. Okay? High view of human nature. Okay? You guys are like, yeah, that's not biblical view at all, but we'll get there. Okay. And then group identity, therefore, is the individual. Right? The individual... We're all human beings, right? That's kind of an individual identity. And then my life then is about the expression of my individuality. And you notice that actually is now very much part of our culture. And then ethnic and religious identities are dangerous. They should be suppressed. And that's becoming a big part of our culture as well now. Okay. I'm going to keep on going. And we'll break for a slight break pause for question once we get through with the column. Okay. What is the solution according to classical liberalism? Well, the answer is get rid of the tribes, right? Get rid of it. Tribes are dangerous, right? So individuals need to break away from group identities and embrace universal or national identities. We're all human or we are all Americans, right? Let's focus on the larger identity. What that does is we focus on similarities and we suppress our differences and we can get along with each other. That is the classical liberal solution to the problem of conflict. In our, in our world. Let's get on the same page, okay? And the, and the end goal, therefore, is a society of individuals. We have people who are enlightened, and they live and flourish within reasonable bounds, of course, and their ethnic, religious identities are minimized, privatized, or removed entirely. And we've seen that in American culture, where religious practices are privatized, no longer public, right? Do what you want to do on Sundays, that's, that's you, but get it out of the workplace, get out of political space, get out of public space. <laughs> How do we do, accomplish that? Well, they're all, you know, these people who came up with this, they're all, you know, they're all philosophers and, 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 and thinkers. Education and rational discourse. We need to educate people, and we make sure everybody's treated the same. We need to create space where we can reason together without rancor and to arrive at what is true and good. And once you figure that out, people will do what is good, because we trust people once they're enlightened. Okay. So that's a summary of classical liberalism. This is a world we have lived in for hundreds of years with the Western tradition. Any questions on that? I hope it's not too, anything new or surprising at all. All right, good. Let's move on. This is, that's the easiest one. Okay. <clears throat> Critical race theory started in the 70s in the law, in the law schools. You might be surprised to hear that. Okay. Law school, law, law professors started noticing that after the civil rights movement, there's laws remain on the books that systematically um, created conditions that affected certain races in ways different from other races. And they started noticing this and they started writing about this. And critical race theory developed out of the law schools and they started expanding elsewhere. Critical race theory is at its heart a critique of classical liberalism. Okay. Classical liberalism has been going on for a while, and critical race theory comes along and says, hey, there's some major problems with classical liberalism. And in that sense, you notice already, we are going to have some things in common with critical race theory. We're both critiquing classical liberalism. Okay? That's just kind of, the posture is similar. However, we also critique critical race theory, which is not surprising. The Bible critiques every theory, every secular theory. Right? We have, we're like, no, 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 we're not the same as you guys. Okay? But let's see, let's see about where they're, they're similar. Uh, human beings are valued, but should be given rights and freedom. That's like the heart of, of, of classical liberalism. That's the foundation, right? So critical race theory believes that, 
but it adds in something. Our society does not grant them equitably. Something's wrong with this American society that is supposedly classically liberal. Something is off. We're not able to do what we're trying to do. The problem, systemic racism. America's white supremacist past created racial categories that significantly harm certain peoples in our society. And this white supremacy is currently embedded in our institution, laws, and structures. Racism is pervasive. Colorblind approaches cannot see nor remove systemic racism. So classical racist theorist says, look, yeah, it's not the problem isn't just people's hearts. Is that that, that racism that's been, that suprem white supremacy has been around for hundreds of years, and it gets written in into the laws, into the institutions, into the structures, into how property is divided, into how, into how people are, 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 are put into, 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 into prison, into our legal justice system. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And that's their view. And, and what they say is, hey, the classical liberal approach, the colorblind approach that says, let's ignore ethnic differences, ignore racist difference, that cannot see nor remove systemic racism. Okay. They're saying the traditional approach of classical liberalism cannot solve this problem. So within, so they're going to have a more flawed understanding of the individual, not surprisingly. They say, hey, because people are raised in a systemically racist society, we should not be surprised that people generally are not aware of their implicit biases, and many white people are not aware of their privileged and systemic bias in our society. People grown up in a, in a, in a white supremacist or, uh, uh, society cannot see systemic racism or the implicit racism in their hearts. That's how they view individuals. And their group identity, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on intersectionality. We can spend more time talking about it if you like, and I can recognize some, recommend some books for you. But the idea is this, is that you need to recover, in some ways, racial ethnic identities, and to recover them and re-emphasize them. And when you have multiple identities that are oppressed, okay, the, 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 the whole is more than the sum of its parts. That's really kind of a way to summarize intersectionality. Being a, a, um, a say, a, uh, a Asian woman is different from being just Asian and being a woman. Right? That, that intersection of those two things creates new situations and differences. And so that's also started in the law. If, if you actually go back to the law books and read up on cases, the analyses, they're like, oh yeah, this is different. A black woman has different experiences that cannot be addressed merely by laws addressing blacks or addressing women. Okay. That's literally kind of the, where, where this inter, ideal intersection came from. Okay. What is the solution? People need to be re-educated so they can see systemic racism. And they need to take active measure to challenge existing structures to reverse, to reverse racial inequity in this country. And so the end goal then is to dismantle the pervasive racist structures that, that reproduce inequity. The, the, you can't just change the heart, you need to change the structure. The structure is actually reproducing inequity, and you need to find ways to reverse that. And the method, well, it's a power method. We need to give power to voice to those who are members of oppressed groups, and we need to disempower and silence those who traditionally have had the loudest voices. Right? I think we all see, we've seen this in operation in our society. So this is critical race theory. Now just remember, I'm using these terms that they would be familiar with. I'm not necessarily endorsing the usage of these terms. Okay, I'm just saying this is something they would go, yep, this represents my view. Okay. So let me pause here for questions on critical race theory. I'm either 
completely incomprehensible or am I brilliant? <laughs> I'm guessing incomprehensible. <laughs> no. Okay. So I hope this is helpful at this point, just kind of summarizing what these are. And by the way, let me, let me just another, another piece of caveat. Oh, I have a question. I did have one question. Uh, yes. Intersectionality, you said they say that uh, different groups need to be rediscovered and re-emphasized. Yes. Would they say to people of different ethnicities or genders that they don't, they're not even aware themselves? Ah, that's a good question, right? So there's some, there's some idea of recovering, right? There's idea, is there a question back there? Repeat the question, yes. Um, can you say that again? Let me repeat it, and I can repeat it. Oh, stand up and speak to the whole crowd. Thank you. So when he said at the bottom of intersectionality to that different ethnicities and genders need to rediscover and reemphasize, my question was, are, is, are they saying critical race theory that, that they're not even aware of some of these things themselves? So part of critical race theory is you have to be made again. Right, that's a great question, and I'm, I'm going to say there's going to be variety on this diversity of opinion on this, but you certainly see the idea of, of you know, you, you, you know I, this is where, this happens in, in Asian American circles a lot, where students go off and they're like, they haven't thought about ethnic consciousness at all, because let's say they grow up in a predominantly white area. They go off to college and they come back and suddenly they're like, they're very, very Asian American. Right? They, they, they encounter the idea of, of my Asian American ethnicity as being important. And, and having a, a, a particular purpose in this country's racial history, both for good and for evil. And suddenly there's, there's a consciousness, there's an awareness, and there's kind of an opposition, like, hey, I'm different from the culture around me. So that's a kind of a rediscovering process that happens. Good question. Yes? Could you give an accurate representation of what a critical race theorist probably would define privilege? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, okay. So for, I'm, I'm not endorsing this work necessarily, but I, what I would say is, um, um, the, okay, I can only tell you by, by example. The, the initial paper I read, and I forgot her name, was the, the first time the term white privilege was coined, she basically wrote out like 30 or 40 privileges that she had. And she talked about how um, one of them was, I can go to a, 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 a supermarket and not be followed. I can watch any show and, and have my race represented on the screen. It was just kind of listing those kind of things, like very daily normal things that I go, oh, that, that, that this person was reflecting that I have this, and guess what, a person of color don't have this. They cannot count on it, whereas I can count on it. And so that, that was the listing. And then I think the, theory, the definition of theories behind it probably follows suit. But the initial article was just kind of this listing of, here's all the things that I count on that, that but my friends who are people of color, they cannot count on it. So that was a kind of interesting a way to start. And I know that, and this is where I'm getting get diversity is that, of, of opinion, is that a lot of times we'll run into issues in, in, in our society, and we need to distinguish between critical race theorists and critical race activists. Okay? That's a very important distinction to make. Um, activists will take this and do things with it in various ways. Um, I would say the distinction in Christianity would be theologians and pastors and then what's, what's in the pews, right? There's like people who grab some of this and they kind of take off and run with it. You're like, oh, that's not quite right, right? We, we, we encounter that all the time in, in how we teach the Bible. Like, yeah, that's not quite what we had in mind, but okay, you know? And that, that, that happens here too, within the critical. So I'm talking to people who are writing and, and, and uh, publishing on critical race theory and they're probably not entirely happy with how their theory is being used by some certain activists. And that's challenging us for, for, will to, to, for us to deal with as well. Okay. 
I, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you made the statement that the sum of the parts makes up the whole or something. Oh, like the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. The whole is, thank you, that was my right. Um, so is that at an individual level, the, the, the sum of the parts, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts as, say, an, an Asian woman? Mm -hmm. Or is it the whole is the sum of the parts is as a disenfranchised person? Is, is it seen more through the individual lens or through the... Oh, that's a good question. I, 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 I don't know the answer to that question. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hypothetically say both, but, but the, the, the examples I've, I've heard from the, kind of the original writings refer to individuals, but other people who know more than that can jump in. I know that the initial um, writings in the, in the legal world starts with, hey, this law affects individuals in different ways. And then we have people who are writing who say, you know, I, I go to a, a group that's fighting for women's rights, and this woman who's a, a woman of color, like, this isn't speaking to my need. I go to a group that's fighting for that particular ethnic group, this isn't speaking to my needs either. There, there needs to be some kind of intersection um, of identities. So, yeah. Yes? The last, under the method, yes. the last sentence, we need to disempower and silence yeah. those who traditionally have the loudest voice. Yes. That's incredibly strong. Yes. And, and the critical race theorist that you T gave this to this, per that? this person did not disagree that that reflected critical race theory yeah. views. Okay. But there are others who are much more pessimistic that this is possible. Okay. So if you actually look down at the footnote um, on that page, if you're a friend, if Derek Bell is one of the, one of the major, kind of a first person who got critical race theory going, he actually says people of color should just give up. He said, develop habits and disposition to help them endure permanent subordinate class, a subordinate status. Teaching the constitutional promise of classical liberals will always disappoint. So you have within critical race theorists, certain people going, yeah, go do this, empower the, the activists, and other people say, no, you really should just give up, it's not gonna work. You don't have, really have a prayer. Change does not happen. So this is even within the critical race theory, there's different schools of thoughts on this. And that's just one example. Uh, back there, and then over there. Yeah, just a reminder, repeat the questions each time. Sorry, it really my, my bad, my bad. So here's my question. Um, so you said this began in the 70s, mm -hmm. almost 50 years. How much of this has changed? Yeah. So the things that you have listed out here, are they like? They're more reflective of the present. Okay. Yeah, I would recommend a book it's, a very, it's just a short little book written for freshmen, college freshmen called uh, Critical Race Theory, an introduction by uh, uh, Richard Delgado and John Stefanchich. It's in your, in your uh, last page on the resource page. Okay, read this book. It's not dense. It's not written in, in kind of a critical language, uh, academic critical language that's sometimes incomprehensible. Straightforward, wonderful book. Basically, you get it straight from the horse's mouth. Here's a critical race theorist telling you what race critical theory is. Understand it and go. Okay, how does the, how does the Bible how's the Bible different? How are we different from what they're saying? Deborah. So my question is going back to the whole reversal of power. Just very quickly, I don't know if this is just maybe your, but do you think that's where why there's such a push that from a majority culture on critical race theory because they're reading we need to disempower and silence those who have had the loudest voices. Yeah. Do you think that is why, or do you think people have even studied critical race theory, but they're just going on what the masses are saying? <laughs> so we're getting, we're, we're, that's a great question. Uh, it's a question, I think you all heard that, right? Yeah, you all heard that. If I can hear it, you all hear, you all heard that. Heard that. Um, it's a great question. I, th I think this is where the, where the challenge is, right? You have people who are living in the classical liberal world, 
We're, we're talking about two different worldviews, a classical liberal view and now a critique of classical liberalism that's based on classical liberalism that says you are not seeing this properly. And the, and, the, and the classical liberals are going, no, 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 no. We don't want to go back to that world where we're all breaking down along ethnic lines. Okay, this is not helpful. And the people over there go, no, you need to, you need to actually recreate and re-identify along ethnic lines. And then we need to actually then figure out the power arrangements along those lines in some ways to, to fix what's gone before. Because we have things that have gone wrong that's gone before. And so, so that is, when you're talking about the method, that's where the, the context is, like the, con the, the conflict is. Right? You have different ideas, sure, but once you start actually changing things, okay, that's where it's happening in our, in, our, in our academic institutions, it's happening in our schools, it's happening in, in, in major institutions um, in, in, our, in our country. Okay? And the conflict between these two, um, and, and, and what happens is there's a major pushback. Right? So now you have, the, you have the pushback against critical race theory in which everything is labeled as critical race theory, which is not helpful either in this conversation. Yes? That's why I think it's so interesting that even the speaker this morning mentioned with one of those five interviews what happened with George Floyd. Yes. As a person who had a career in law enforcement, yeah. I still <coughs> uh, fear when a police officer gets behind me. Yes. And I was a federal probation officer for 20 years. Yes. And why, why should I have to feel that way? Mm -hmm. uh, again, when you saw what happened with George Floyd, yeah. uh, it, it just Whoever saw that, I don't care what you think. Yeah. Something was wrong with that picture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so this is important. Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not up here to say critical. Well, I'm going to disagree and agree with critical race theory, and I'm going to agree and disagree with classical liberalism. Okay. Because we think the Bible critiques both, but also embraces elements of both. Okay. So that's absolutely true. There's, there's the critical race theory is 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 not making this about a thin air. It's putting voice to people's experiences in our country. Uh, Vincent Bacota, he's a, a professor out at, at, at Wheaton. He recently came to Upper House here in Madison and spoke. And he said something very interesting. That was, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because he, he was saying, you know, if the church have given voice to the oppressed peoples in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, we wouldn't have needed the critical race theory. The church didn't step in to give voice to what was happening to people. We were so in bed with, 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 with classical liberalism that we didn't jump in and go, hey, wow, your experience after, after the civil rights era is, has not substantially changed, even though we changed, we changed the, 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 the most egregious laws, that you're still experiencing certain things. And, but we're, we're going to say, no, that's your problem now, instead of going and listening and giving voice and help people speak, and help you talk about lament and those kind of things. And so he was making a, a, a great observation that when the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do, secular culture is going to come along and replace it with a secular version of it that is now causing great problem and great, great strife, whereas the church needs to be the church. So that's kind of part of underlying this one, this, this thing as well. There's something real going on. Critical race theory is giving, race, giving, giving voice to it, but it's providing some interesting theories that we need to then understand and then engage. Okay. So I want to get, go ahead. Do they think that this theory is mostly an American thing or is this a kind of a worldwide way to view uh, the, the struggles in different places? That's a good question. Um, when I asked my, uh, my critical race theory friends, they say they tend to focus on what's happening in America. This is, this is not that it doesn't happen elsewhere, 
but that the focus is, hey, this is, this is where it's happening, and we need to work on what's happening here. Um, I often talk about, um, so the Han is the, the, the largest ethnic group in China. I talk about Han privilege, okay? And I talk about the privilege I experienced when I was in Taiwan, and when, when, when those from mainland China came to Taiwan and dominated, was as a minority, dominated the island, in which they imposed a language upon everybody else. And I, I, because I spoke Mandarin perfectly, they were like, hey, this guy, he's a great student because he can speak Mandarin perfectly. I'm like, yeah, I was experiencing all kinds of privilege that I did not know of and was not aware of until I started reading critical race theory and go, oh, wow, that explains my experience in Taiwan. Okay? But critical race theorists aren't necessarily thinking that. Well, maybe some of them already are, and I'm just not aware of their work. Okay. So, but I'd like to move on to the next, next, next column. Okay. The Bible. Yes. Okay. That's exciting. The Bible, yes. Okay, so I, I feel like I'm a little on firmer, a little more firmer ground. I spent, I spent almost 20 years in grad school <laughs> studying the Bible. Okay, uh, image of God. We're creative image of God. This gives value and a calling. This is a big difference. Okay, the value part, both classical liberals and critical theorists would agree with. Calling, they don't. Right? We're called to be godlike. Who God is determines how we live. We're called to be images of God, to reflect who God is. This is the foundational difference between biblical worldview and the other secular worldviews. Okay? They're saying value and freedom and liberty, and we're like, no, 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 no. Your freedom and liberty and value works toward imaging God. This is the biggest difference. Okay, so sin. Humans rebelled against God. We're, we're, you know, and um, humans exist in a fallen state. This corruption affects every person, every relationship, every institution, every social system. And then tribalism. As fallen beings, we form tribes of like people and disdain and hurt those who are not in our tribe. And I think that's pretty standard. We know that about ourselves and about human history. This is what we do. We create groups, and we go, my group is better than your group. And then we're either going to discriminate against you, or we're going to do something to you like kill you or murder you or slaughter you all. And that's what human, people, people, human beings have been doing since the very beginning. Um, the individual. So we have a worse view of the individual compared to the, compared to the, to the critical race theorists. Critical race theorists says, yeah, they're blind to things. They're blind to race. We're like, no, 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 we're actually really broken in every aspect, not just the area of race, but every which way. Right? We are broken people live in a broken world. Everything we do is tainted by sin. We shouldn't be surprised, therefore, that we are tribalistic, whether we are aware of it or not. So this is one of the things you already noticed, like the idea of implicit bias. As Christ followers, okay, I don't know about the study of implicit bias. I'm not a theorist. I'm not a person researching all that. But as a Christian, I'm disposed to believe it. My theology tells me, yeah, that sounds like something we would do. Okay, you can prove, you, you, you got science, you got evidence to prove otherwise, show me, I'll, I'll buy it. But my, the, my Bible was telling me predisposed to believe in implicit bias. Why? We're broken. Duh. <laughs> right? Something's wrong with us. Right? So, and, and not only that, but we should also, also the idea of systemic problems. Remember, this is, this, what we built in the society is built by broken people. Right? It's a surprising that it favors some over others. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't surprise anyone. It's the story of every country, every nation ever. So, our theology disposes us to believe certain things. And we'll get to that in a bit. But let me keep going on this. Here's the thing. Here's the big one. Here's our big critique of classical liberals. Is that we're actually not, our primary identity is not individual. It's actually membership in the Jesus tribe. 
right? We are, first and foremost, body of Christ, people in the church. This is our identity. We're the people of God, the Israel of God, given this mission, right? We're joined with others. The Jesus tribe is, is the ultimate identity that we're a part of. We're called to be in Christ. Now, the second part may be a little different and maybe a little, some of you may not be as familiar with, but the idea that ethnic identities are secondary identities, but they're sanctified and celebrated within the Jesus tribe. So that I'm not just a Christian, I'm an Asian American Christian or Chinese American Christian. And that Chinese Americanness doesn't disappear just because I've become part of the kingdom of God. Now we can talk more about that later, but, but that's something that the Bible actually teaches and affirms. Okay. Why is that? We'll get to that in a bit. Why is that? Well, first of all, solution, right? The new tribe is the solution to the problem of the world. Jesus' death on the cross established the Jesus tribe. It, I would say resurrection as well, because if he didn't resurrect, there is no such new thing as the Jesus tribe. We're all in Christ. We can't be inside a dead guy. So it doesn't really work. So he has, to, he has to resurrect and the spiritual union where we enter in and we see the power of the Holy Spirit to love those who are different from us. Okay? One of the key definitions of the love of God, agape, is the love of who is different, what is different. Someone on the Mount makes that very clear. He says, well, you love people, who cares? Right? Love those who are different from you. Okay? Tax collectors love those who love them. Right? Right? Criminals, every, they, everybody loves those who love them. That's human love. A standard. Divine love, those who are enemies, those who are different from you, those who you do not greet on the street. Okay? That's divine love. And, and, and we love those who are different. That's, that's the power of God in us. And so that the end goal then becomes a tribe of tribes. We, we serve God's agent to accomplish this goal, to unite all things in Christ, and to image him as a group, as a collective, we aim to become a tribe of tribes where people love and celebrate other peoples under the reign of God. Different groups of people come together, and unlike the secular world, where different groups come together, and they have conflict, and they hate each other, and they go to war with each other, or according to classical liberals, let's ignore our differences and just merge together. That way, we don't have to, we can suppress our differences and be, be unified. The, the gospel solution is different groups of people come together, and we go, hey, you're different, how awesome. That is unhuman. Okay? You're different. Wow, that's really cool. That is not the normal response that we have, but that is the response we have under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. We start seeing people going, wow, you're different. You have something to teach me about my relationship with God. Because my understanding of God is shaped by my culture, and if you have a different understanding of God, I have so much to learn from you. And we have a community of people who are doing that with each other. Can you imagine that being the church? That changes everything, right? And so the method, the method is, well, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we work toward the goal by living out our calling to surrender our benefits and seek the benefit of other peoples. Another group over there, I'm here, my first thing I do is I want to learn from you. I want, I want to help your group prosper and, gr and grow and flourish. And that group says, well, no, 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 I want to do it for you. And everybody's like competing and having a fight over who, how to serve the other group. That would be the kind of conflict we should have in the churches. We're like, no, 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 you, no, 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 you. That's how we should fight. Okay? That's how we should be defined, by the love of God, the way we love each other. Okay, that's the Bible. Um, coming up is um, compare and contrast, which I think is important, but I'm going to pause briefly and take questions on this one. Yes? Uh, 
Charles, could you talk a little bit more about the difference between um, maybe this kind of affirmation of the other in the, in the biblical worldview yeah. versus affirmation of the intersectionality of an oppressed person or group? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like so, so okay. So that's going to come in the next section. I'm doing comparison okay. and contrast. Okay. So let's stick with just Bible, and then we're going to we're going to start doing both of them when we'll get to that question. Good. Yes. Charles, I'm interested. Do you think uh, so? Acts chapter six with the Greek speaking yeah. um, widows being, and then appointing Greek speaking men. Is that is that fairly direct? That's a, this? I, I would say that's that's a moment in which the church said, "Wow, we're multicultural. Our leadership's reflected." And they directly they appointed different language speakers to be leadership of the church, and 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 quickly the Greek speakers kind of took over the church in in, in a way uh, in in history. But yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a great example. So Acts chapter two, Acts chapter six, and then you get to of course Acts Acts fifteen. You see this understanding within the history of the church, like hey, we're multicultural. We actually need to bring the Gentiles in, and we actually need to celebrate this. This is, we, and, and then I would say Galatians and big chunks of Romans are all about how do the Gentiles come in? And the answer is they maintain their ethnic differences. They don't need to become Jews to become Christ followers. And that's the, the story of the history of the church in, in the first centuries. That was the big question. You bring all these people in, do they have to become like us first? And the answer is no. Maintain ethnic differences. And now you can figure out how this, this thing works, right? And, 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 and Ephesians, that great line, the cross puts to death ethnic hostility. The cross did that. And the cross, one of the great things the cross did is to say, you're all one in Christ. Therefore, you as different ethnic groups, you need to be able to come together and love each other without having to become the same. Okay? The world says, if you're different, you will fight. If you're the same, you can love each other. And the Bible says, nope, we have a different way. We can love each other because we're different. It's a higher, it's a higher vision of what humans can accomplish. Okay. Other questions? Let's keep going. Page three. Okay. Areas of agreement we sh with classical liberalism. We strongly agree that individuals are valuable. And we should create a society. This is where we're getting to policy now. We're getting to politics. We should create a society where each person can flourish. We want that. We see that happening. Every person in the image of God, if they can flourish, that's a good thing. Which is why we, sh we should, as, as Christ followers, uh, fight against poverty. Because poverty restricts people's ability to flourish, to reflect images of God. Right? Uh, this part is in parentheses because um, the secular class classical liberals wouldn't believe that. <laughs> So they can, because we want them to live out their calling to image God. And they're like, no, nah, it's okay. <laughs> they just like the first part. So we have a strong agreement on the first part. Individuals are valuable. And then we agree with classical liberals that tribalism is dangerous. Right? Tribalism is problematic, destructive of human society. Having disdain for and conflicting, in, inflicting injury on outsiders go against the very heart of God. So we agree with them, yeah. This kind of group-on-group -group violence and conflict and, 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 and oppression is really, really destructive and, 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 and completely unchristian. We also agree that reason discourse is good for our society. We want to foster places where people of goodwill can exchange ideas about what is true and good. We want conversation. We want dialogue. We think that's a good thing. So we agree with classical liberals on these areas. However, we have significant areas of differences. 
And here's where, here's where we critique a classical liberalism. Okay. Number one, individuals are called to image God. Thus, God's character defines our ethics. Freedom to express our individuality is not the purpose of human existence. This is the biggest problem we have today in our culture. Right? Classical liberal world says, no, live, like, li live to be yourself. And we're like, no, 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 live to be God. Massive conflict, head-on conflict okay? on everything. This is where it's, where it's at. Number two, while we reject tribalism, the belief that my group is better than yours, we are tribal. This is where we're just different. Okay? Our primary identity is not the individual. It is membership in the Jesus tribe. Being part of Jesus is my primary identity. I am a collective tribal person, not an individual. The key is that we do tribal differently. Tribal without tribalism. I'm part of a group but I don't necessarily think my group is superior or need to dominate other groups. In fact, I'm going to try to love other groups and serve other groups. That's the difference in posture. Jesus' tribe images God's love, which the Bible defines as love for the other, love for those who are different. So we're called to be a tribe of tribes. The calling entails that we maintain our ethnic identity. It's part of what it means to be in the Jesus tribe. But that, this part is hard for some, some of us in the dominant culture, in, in, in the majority culture. Because we're like, wait, do we have an ethnic identity? The answer is yes, you do. It's just that because it's so standardized, there's not an awareness of it. Right? There is such a thing as an ethnic group called Midwestern whites. That ethnic group exists and it can, can be studied by sociologists. They do. Okay? It's just that it's because the standards, it's like, so why are you swimming? You don't realize, oh, wait, I have an ethnic identity. And it's important to know that ethnic identity and actually embrace it and celebrate it. Okay? So, hey, Chinese American, celebrate it. Uh, Japanese Americans celebrate, African Americans celebrate, white Americans celebrate. Know your ethnic identity and celebrate it. Because okay. if you don't, you, it's hard to be part of a group that's like knowing the other group's differences and then loving it and serving the other groups. If you don't know who you are, it's hard to love others because they're different. Because then you, what you think is what's normal about you is just normal. Right? I'm, I'm, this, the way we do things is standard. You're different, you're wrong. Versus the way we do things is my ethnic group. The way you do things is different. It's a different ethnicity. Let's talk about that and let's learn from each other. Different posture. You need to know your ethnic identity. The Bible teaches the concept of structural and collective sin. It does that. I think many of us are very uncomfortable, especially those, who, those of us who are rooted in classical liberalism. There's some of the toughest passages in the Bible where God punishes entire nation groups as a whole entire cities. And we're like, that doesn't sound fair, right? The, the, the argument over Exodus, where, where the firstborn babies of the Egyptian families getting killed, we're like, that's unfair. That unfairness comes out of our classical liberal mindset. God treats people, at least in history, in people groups. Now, salvation, individuals. But in history, people groups. That's Bible. That's like, you can't really get around that. There is Collective sin and structural sin. And we believe that a racially reconciled society re requires confronting both historical inequalities and the resulting disadvantages in nearly all aspects of life. We are the kind of people who don't want to bury things. We kind of go, okay, now things have happened in our country. We need to know what happened, and we need to dive into it because, because we have groups, we have people in our churches, brothers and sisters in Christ, and they have experiences that are very different, and they're suffering, and we need to know their story and go, okay, how do we help? How do we... How do we make things better? Establish justice, do justly. 
in the world around us. That's part of our calling. While we encourage rational discourse, we're deeply skeptical of humanity's ability to arrive at truth and morality via reason without revelation. I think deeply skeptical is putting it mildly. We think it's impossible. Right? We believe in revelation. We believe that you can think and talk all you want. You're going to go in circles. You're going to go nowhere. We need the revelation from God. We need the Bible. Okay. Questions, comments about our differences with classical liberalism? So, uh, right. yeah, uh, I really agree with the collective sin thing, but I know that some of the people in our church who are really, no CRT, no, you know, this, they really react against. Right. The they're seeing it through the CRT lens rather than through the biblical lens, right? Yeah, and I yes. think they're only hearing, yeah, but you're saying it's the individual judgment of your sin. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about collective sin, yeah. that doesn't. So how would you give a quick answer to that? <laughs> That's a good question. So, so, I, I see what you're saying. It's yeah, yeah. Read the Bible. Yeah, yeah, no. Read the Bible. That's the easy answer. <laughs> read, read the Bible. Um, so so what, what, is, what, is, what it says is, and I'm not critiquing, well, I am. I'm not, I want to critique our church as a whole. Critique, one of the great things that happen when our society changes, like, for example, classical liberalism and now a challenging ideology of critical race theory, is that all of a sudden, we're looking at both and going, oh, wait a minute. We are very much rooted in classical liberalism, and we've accommodated. Like, this is what Dr. Perrin was talking about this morning. We've accommodated the classical liberalism without thinking too hard about it. We, like, we've, been in, we've been in classical liberalism for hundreds of years. It's not surprising that our theology, the way we teach, the passages we focus on, is rooted in classical liberalism, which is what? Individualistic. We teach individual, individual salvation. That's what, we, that's what we focus on, right? This is what the gospel presentation is. Not a, absolutely true, absolutely useful, and that's how we preach. But we need to supplement that, right? Critical race theory is, is serving a purpose for us to kind of go, it's shedding a light on how we teach the Bible and going, hey, you know, there's a lot in the Bible that we've kind of been ignoring. We've been ignoring the minor prophets, for example, right? We've been ignoring kingdom, oh, we uh, collectively, okay? Kingdom of God. As the, as the primary thrust of Jesus' gospel presentation, right? rather than individual salvation as a prim primary thrust of gospel presentation. Right? There's all these different things. I mean, I mean, if you start talking about, you know, I just recently read a, a Reading While Black, and, and this is a professor at Wheaton, I believe, who's, who's thinking about, hey, what, is, what does the black experience have to contribute to the conversation? They're like, well, look, we, is it any surprise that we focus on Exodus right? as a freedom from slavery storyline. And we're like, that really makes a lot of sense. Why don't we talk more about that? Right? Because Paul uses it, for goodness sake, freedom from slavery from sin. Right? This is a huge part of, of Romans, right out of, out of, out of, out of Exodus. But it's, it's kind of like, it's speaking to how we accommodate. Because the problem is, we preach what resonates with the people. That's the reality. Right? You preach that, that's boring. Nobody wants to listen to it. So we preach, and that's what we're getting at today. People want to hear what they want to hear. And so we preach what resonates with our congregation. And our congregation, if they're all classical liberals, are going to want to hear individual things. Focus on my ethics, my salvation. I don't want to think too much about politics and, and societal because it's privatized. Faith is privatized. Right? We present a gospel that is perfectly suited for a classical liberal world. And now we're like, hey, if we see this, we're going to go, hmm. This is giving us 
a way to understand how we're teaching. Not, not even like we're doing the wrong, but we're doing, doing Bible wrong. We're just, we're just we're, the way we select passages matter. Right? What books do we tackle matter in our churches? Yes. So I'm, I'm referencing in my head the old DC talk song, Colorblind. Okay. And, and, and classical liberal, correct? Yes, very classical liberal. Yeah, yeah. So, so Robert Palmer, same thing. Uh, sorry. I got, I got different songs in my head. Yes. So, so um, <laughs> as you continue to engage uh-huh. this at a local church level, yeah. the colorblind maybe concept perhaps was, hey, we, we want representative ethnicities and different things here, but we really want to amalgamate all into one culture. Yeah. It seems that that didn't work very well, uh, perhaps from my limited perspective. What is working? What's, is, oh. is, is it church within a church? Is it, you know, yeah. how, what's the direction? Good question. Uh, if I'm going to get to the next section, I'm not going to be able to answer your question <laughs> in, much, in very much detail. Let me save that for afterward. How's that? But I, but I do say, um, like I said about colorblindness is a, is a Band-Aid solution. It's, okay, let me just stop right there. Colorblindness is awesome. I know that sounds really weird, but for somebody like me who, who immigrated to the United States when I was in, my, in the 70s, it faced very direct racial abuse. The adoption of colorblindness, the, 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 the concomitant, um, uh, basically, overt racism being no longer acceptable in American discourse, is a great thing. Okay, it was really helpful for me in the 80s and the 90s. So colorblindness is a move forward from overt racism. But the problem with colorblindness, there is a trade-off to the people of color. That is, just act white and you'll be fine. Lose your ethnicity. Okay? If you, if, if you pretend to be white, we'll pretend to treat you like white. That's the trade-off for people of color during the 70s, 80s, and 90s that I, I was growing up in. And I can implicitly sense that in which I felt embarrassed every time I hear my parents speak Chinese on the streets. Because I was kind of soaking in the colorblindness paradigm. If you don't speak Chinese, nobody will just pretend everybody's normal and the same. But if you're going to go out and act Chinese, we can't treat you the same anymore. You see? So stop that. That's the message I was getting and I was sending to my parents, which is very interesting, dynamic. So, That's a, good, that's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I have to think about that a little bit. It's a great question. Um, I, I would say colorblindness is a, is a basic philosophy that, impl- that in some sense assumes assimilation, right? Because if you keep insisting on acting in ways that are not assimilated, it's really hard for to treat you as though you're not, you're assimil- you, that you're, you, you are, oh, we're all the same. And so the ability to then code switch into the dominant culture um, makes, makes colorblindness possible, right? So there's a trade-off that happens in this colorblindness scheme. Um, we have to pretend to be the same. So yeah, um, so I'm, I'm, but I'm saying it's a huge improvement. <laughs> so it's, it, I, I, I don't know why people trash it, because like it's, it's, it's an improvement. And it's probably the, it may even be the best that the culture can do without the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm saying the church is a higher call. We're the people of God has a higher calling. I don't know what's going to happen in our society. I, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. But I know what the church is going for. Okay. And what we want to show the world. Okay. Um, 
Agreement with critical race theory, we agree with the recovery and re-emphasis of group identity in, in different ways. Okay, I mean, there's some, there's some, um, when I say agree, we're, like, it's not, we're not using the same language, we're not talking about the same thing. But, but there is kind of a, hey, people in our churches from different ethnic groups, they are different. There's real differences among them. And to know that and to be able to learn from each other on that, on that is part of what it means to be the people of God. I mean, I always tell people, and that's why I shock people, because I say, look, guess what? When you go to heaven, what language are they going to speak? Well, it ain't going to be English. Everybody has different languages. And, and okay, now some people think it's going to be like a matrix thing where you just kind of download all the languages. <laughs> I don't think so. I think there's eternity for a reason. Okay, you have eternity to learn every language, every culture. Okay, which means for the rest of our eternal life, we're going to be in diverse multicultural situations. Or I can go and, you know, I'm going to spend 100 years with, with, with um, third century Spanish speakers in, in this particular area and learn everything there is to know about them. I'm going to spend 1,000 years doing that. And then I'm going to go do something else. Because it's eternity, for goodness sake. <laughs> right? And, and so think about that. Learning culture, learning languages is what you will do in heaven. Why don't we start now? Okay? Learning other cultures and learning other languages and other ethnicity, learning their story is part of what it means to be the people of God. It's discipleship. Okay? That's what I mean by the re-emphasis of group identities. I don't mean kind of a power thing. I mean like, let's figure this out because we're going to have to do it forever. Concept of implicit bias and systemic racism, critical race theory, echo, and I want to emphasize the word echo. They're not the same. The Bible doesn't teach those two things. But like I said, we're predisposed to believe it. Right. Theological doctrine of fallenness of humanity. Bible teaches the existence of both systemic sin and collective guilt as part of the brokenness of our world. We're like, yeah, that sounds right. We don't have to, we don't have to get into it. That sounds about right. Why? Because we don't really trust humans. <laughs> we don't trust us. That's who we are. Okay? And we share the skepticism that human society can progress, progress to the liberal end goal. Liberal end goal, a bunch of enlightened individuals living fully and freely with no, no ethnic identity, no religious identity. And we're like, that's not going to happen. Okay, we have the same, 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 same critiques. And we believe that Christ followers are called to work toward racial reconciliation. That our job here in this broken world before Christ returns is to not only live out justice in, within our community, but then have that resonate outward. Okay? There's the establishing small pieces of heaven everywhere we can be. And that's part of our calling as the people of God. So racial reconciliation, justice in our society, efforts to create new arrangements, power relations, all part of what it means to follow Jesus. Okay. Let me get to the disagreements, and then we, we can open time for, for question and answer. And I have like two minutes. Huh. <laughs> While we affirm the importance of ethnic identity, we believe they're secondary to identity in Jesus. This is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. We're first and foremost Jesus people. Jesus people. That's like a <laughs> Jesus tribe. Okay? And we are to be a sanctified, and then our ethnic identity are to be sanctified via the values of Jesus tribe. We do not believe that every aspect of every culture is good or moral. We are not cultural relativists. Okay? Being Chinese-American, there are certain parts of my culture that are not biblical, that are culturally, what, that are ethically wrong. Okay? The way we handle conflict, for example, within the Chinese culture is not biblical. They basically don't handle it, just let it bury it. Like, biblically, no, no, you handle conflict by actually having conversations and working it out. The Bible actually teaches that. And we're like, okay, that aspect of Chinese culture is not biblical and therefore needs to be stripped away. But there are other parts of my culture that 
are neither here nor there. They're just part of the diversity and the beauty of God's creation in, in the kingdom of God. So that stays. Okay? Figuring that part out, what's sanctified and what's not in ethnic cultures is part of this process of mutual learning from each other. And so we do not believe every aspect of your culture is good or moral. However, we do believe that when they're sanctified, they're a secondary part of identity. Not primary, a secondary part of identity. Oops, sorry. While we desire to create new arrangements of power in response to historic systemic injustice, our end goal is not a merely a redistribution of power. Our end goal is a community of love that is reconciled in Christ. This is a huge difference, folks. The end changes how you do things. Yeah, we see injustice, we see history, but what we want is relationship of love and community, not, well, now you did that to us, we're going to get you back next time. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't do anything. But if you have a bunch of people who are like kind of sullen and, and, and angry because they're no longer able to speak in the churches or in our community, that's not good. That is not a picture of heaven. Okay? We are trying to do something beyond what critical race theorists are trying to do. Okay? This is huge. I'm talking to professors at UW who are like, they're like, okay, I kind of like, you know, basically responding to critical race, they're like, I kind of like what they're saying, but the end result is a, is a field that's torched. They, it's burning through things. And there's just anger and sullen and resentment that's at the, in the, at the wake of this. And you're like, that's not, that's not Jesus. That's not Holy Spirit. That's not gospel. The gospel is you do this with the end result is love and community. How do you do that? Our end goal proscribes. It bans certain means. We do not silence nor shame. That's, that's important. People should not walk out in discussions about race feeling like, I can't talk. That is not what we want to do. We achieve our goals via love, sacrifice, rather than via power, coercion, or intimidation. We rely on prayer, dialogue, and the work of the Holy Spirit. We actually believe the Holy Spirit is alive and does things in our culture and in our world, in our churches. So we have to rely on that. We cannot rely on force or power, or coercion. All right. Questions? Yes? Charles, I became a Christian in 97. So yeah. Thinking about race in 99, 2000. In 2002, somebody opened up the scriptures and started showing to me that ethnicity is divinely different. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that for 20 years. And in 2017, I'm reading a New Testament scholar, and he like references this thing I've never heard called critical race theory. Uh huh. Yes. Right? And then in 19, yes, like three years ago, yes, it like hijacks, yes, and dominates the conversation. Yes. Right. Yes. And I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah. Right? That's part of. That's my question. I think you might have solved it for me tonight. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to hear your answer. Okay, so I hear I, the biblical column I was first taught, Bruce Walkie, Gordon C., yeah. Regent College, 1993. Before anybody's heard of critical race theory, the idea that the church is meant to be a multicultural kingdom of tribe among tribes loving each other, that's, that's been there from the get-go. This is the biblical vision. And then, you're right, we start talking about it, and then all of a sudden this pops up, right? Um, Critical race theory, starting in the 70s, localized, legal field, gradually spreads out. And I think a number of things you guys are very familiar with, what happened in Ferguson, what happened with, with George Floyd, have made this kind of issue pop out in huge ways, among, especially because of the activists. 
Um, and now it's become a kind of a bogeyman among the, the, the conservative classical liberal pushback. All right? So now, you, now it's major conflict. We're, we're in a majorly polarized world in which talking about what the Bible has always been saying for 2,000 years has now become nearly impossible. Um, and I, you're asking a question about history, about our secular world, and I'm actually not the expert to answer that question. I, yeah. I think what I, what, what I began to wonder today, and I'll probably get escorted off the property after I say this, <laughs> but I started thinking, hey, listen, so like critical race theory yeah. is a critique of classical liberalism. Yes. Right? Yes. And we're all mad at it. And I'm, and I'm wondering, yeah. and I, I don't mean we, I mean we, the, the, and I'm wondering, we all think we're in that third category. Right. Right. But are we way more in that first category than that's, we think we are? That's a great. And keep going. Sudden, yeah. Think, yeah. <laughs> keep going. So that that was for me. Keep today. keep going. That's keep going. No, yeah. No, yeah. No, no, no. You 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 actually. So here's the thing, right? Um, I I think, like I said, critical race theory is pointing out to the church how much we are in bed with classical liberal. Mm. Well, we we have we have accommodated our gospel to fit this dominant view in our church, which is to totally the thing to do. We need to contextualize our gospel, right? We need to preach what people are asked to draw people to Christ. But the problem with when you do that is you start confusing secular ideology with biblical teaching. And we, when we have emphasized one aspect of the Bible so long, for, so many, for hundreds of years, it's when, we're, when somebody's pointing out there's something wrong with that secular theory, but because we're so joined with it, we think we're getting hit. Whereas the Bible has always had this other aspect that, that's just not preached in, I would say, majority white churches. For, for our brothers and sisters in African and black churches, they've been teaching this all along. Okay? This is not new. Okay? It's just news to us. Not news to, not news to other people. Not news to our brothers and sisters in, in other parts of the, of, 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 of the culture, other parts of the world. Are you raising your hand? No, you're not. Okay. okay, you just like. Okay, all right. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on with the pastors then in in our majority churches? Why is this not permeating throughout the church? It's a great question. Why is this not permeating? The, the reason I, like, I get back to you is it takes something like critical race theory to actually jar us loose, to get us to start thinking, wait a minute, okay, we don't like critical race theory in some ways, or we like it in some ways, but wait a minute, what, is, what are we currently? It's, it, you need somebody to point to you the water you're in. And I think that's, that's the, the, I think, I hope that the, the benefit of this document is that, yeah, I think you get a lot of people talking about why we disagree with critical race theory. But I think it opens a door for us to go, wait, there are some serious issues in which we've accommodated our gospel to, the, to, to classical liberals that we need to talk about in our churches. And I think we do, what well, we need to do do both. Hey, you're both secular ideologies. We're neither. We're God. We're, we're biblical. We're, we're, we're the divine ideology. Okay. Last question, then we have to go. Sorry, just, uh, yeah. do you have any practical steps to do ministry? We have, we have people um, on two sides of this coin here. Um, yeah. And uh, very polarized sides. Do you, have, do you How do we bring people to the table? Great, great question. Um, yeah. First thing, there's a, there's a resource page in the back. These are, okay, now this is by far not comprehensive. There's like tons of blogs and articles that I, I thought, pasting those links are not going to help you very much because you like click on and nothing will happen. 
and try to type, the, type those in, you're, it's not going to work. Uh, so I, I put in mostly books, and there's only one journal article on, online you can find very easily. Uh, these, are the, these, these are the ones that I have found most helpful, and I've read most, through most of them. Um, I'm going to confess to not having made it all the way through Charles Taylor's The Secular Age. That thing's like this thick. It's incredibly dense. However, I gave you James K. Smith's How Not to Be Secular, reading Charles Taylor, which is like a 100-page summary of that big book. Um, I would also recommend... Um, uh, David Coyes' Political Vision and Illusion, which is just a wonderful Christian critique of all the political theories throughout the past uh, few hundred years. Fantastic work. Got to do that. Um, if you want to do critical race theory, start with this. Like I said, very accessible. Um, George Yancey is a person to read. Um, I think he was at the, the EFCA Theology Conference, uh, this, this uh, uh, annual conference. So a, a great person to read. Um, Jeff, I put in Jeff Liu. He's the guy. He's actually a Christian critical race theorist. He's the person who actually talked me through the second column. So I, I had a chance to meet with him. Um, so I guess I'm starting by, by starting point to answer your question is read stuff, <laughs> which is kind of what I do. I mean, that's like what I do, right? I feel like I need to, I need to understand what's happening before I can have conversations with people and help them deal with this. I, if I can't understand what's happening, the people in the congregation, they don't have the background. So helping them, and then, like I said, this tool is something I developed and we use for training here. Uh, we've used, we used it for elders, we used it for some of the, some of the um, um, uh, volunteers, and we're probably going to do more of it and maybe turn it into a class. And so this is kind of like, we need to read more to be able to teach this and help our people navigate. So thank you for that question, and thank you all so much for your attention. Appreciate it very much. All right, have a great lunch. Thanks for listening to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. Before you go, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. By doing so, you're helping others to find and benefit from these resources. To hear more great content like this, please click subscribe. Finally, you can learn more about the FLE and the resources we have available for flourishing churches at our website, forestlakes-efca.org.